Do you find it confusing and overwhelming trying to choose a sport nutrition product? There are so many of them on the market. Stay tuned for this episode. Welcome to the Inside Sport Nutrition Podcast, your source for all things sports nutrition related. This show is hosted by myself, Bob Sibahar, and my awesome co-host, Dina Griffin. We are both registered dietitians who are board-certified specialists in sports dietetics with combined professional experience exceeding 40 years. We are here to translate nutrition and sports science research to real life and give you some awesome interviews with a variety of experts so you can enhance your knowledge to optimize your health, fitness, and athletic performance. On today's episode, number 113, we, Dina and I, are sitting down and we're giving a little bit of past, present, and just a smidget of the future of carbohydrate-based sport nutrition products. As I mentioned, there are so many sport nutrition products on the market. It's it's quite confusing for both Dina and I to keep up with all of this. We hear you. We're here for you. What we're going to do in this episode is only focus on carbohydrate sport nutrition products. We're going to give you a little glimpse of the past, where we came from, where we're at right now, and what's been really accelerating in terms of product manufacturers making things and using science to uh, go kind of to the next level in sport nutrition. And then we're going to kind of take a sneak peek just a tad into the future. And, you know, honestly, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. So we're really going to focus on past and emphasize the present to hopefully give you a better idea of how to look and find sport nutrition products that may work for you. Now, before we get to the show, since we're talking about carbohydrates and we know that some of you are a little bit sensitive uh, regarding some GI distress issues, including myself, I want to point you and just remind you that I have a wonderful self-study course on eliminating GI distress for endurance athletes. So if your nemesis is the GI distress monster, Head on over to my website, energyperformance, enrgperformance.com. Click on class, courses and master classes, and you'll find some great information on that. All right, let's get to the episode. Dina, what was your favorite subject in high school or maybe middle school? Do you remember? I liked math. You did like math. Okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah. What I don't about know if you? I like math, but I was good at it. Were you into biology or what was yours? I did like science. I really like, I love dissecting things and I love chemistry, which kind of explains a lot. Right. But you know, one thing I didn't really, I don't want to say I didn't enjoy. It was just, I don't know if it was just hard for me to learn what the very kind of quantitative brain or what it was. And I found it extremely fascinating, but it didn't really interest me was history. Okay. Did you like history? History. I mean, I kind of like the history. I think it gives you appreciation for where we've been and where we're going, maybe where we are now. Yes. I'm thinking you have a little something to tie to what we're talking about today. I do. So when you, I mean, such well said that you just said, I mean, it was perfect the way you transitioned that because when you put history and some science together, I am like a little kid at Christmas. My eyes get bigger. I'm super excited. So, you know, this episode, listeners, Dina and I want to provide additional information for you regarding carbohydrates. 
and the sport nutrition industry. So there are so, I mean, Dina, I don't even know how many gels, bars, drinks, electrolyte, like you name it. We're only focusing on carbohydrates this episode, but there are so many companies these days to choose from. And it gets quite, I mean, I guess you could call it confusing because back in the days, check, back in the days, we didn't have that many choices. So it was actually easy. So what we'd like to do listeners is we're going to do a quick history lesson, but we're also going to focus more of the time and really talk about where are we at now with if, within the sport nutrition industry with specifically carbohydrate products. We're going to talk about what's going on. But first, I feel like we do need to kind of give the history lesson so our listeners can appreciate where we've been uh, and where we are, and maybe even where we're going. Mm-hmm. Are we ready to to fire it up? I'm going to let you go because I can feel your history passion oh, coming right through. I love this. I love this. And part of it is because, you know, I spent a, a little while, not too long at the University of Florida way back when. And, you know, University of Florida was basically the birthplace, I'll just say of sport nutrition, even though carbohydrates and exercise performance has literally been studied for almost 100 years now. The whole sport nutrition industry really started with Gatorade. And of course, you can, you can, you know, make some some disagreements to that. But in terms of products, right, that's what I'm talking about. Like back in the days, Tour de France cyclists, I mean, they used to eat sugar cubes and drink alcohol and eat steaks. Like that's not sport nutrition products, right? So Gatorade, I mean, that whole that whole thing started in the mid-1960s which is just, it blows my mind, right? And I'm not going to say much more about the history of Gatorade, but wow, 1960s, D. I mean, some of our listeners were not born yet. Yeah. So, I mean, it seems a long time ago. And then I feel like too, like not that long ago, but maybe that's just a trajectory that seems somewhat exponential in the developments and technologies and things. Totally. When And, you know, yeah. when this was first, you know, when Gatorade came out and kind of started the whole sport nutrition industry, we didn't have as much of the scientific prowess and methodology that we do now. So I feel like things moved very slow back then, purely because, you know, the scientists were up against the wall. They only had certain certain um, things they could use in terms of equipment or, or, you know, whatever it was. So what happened from the 1960s in Gatorade, it kind of morphed in in it went into the 1970s and not many people actually remember this, but there was a company called Enervit and they actually started in the 1970s. And this is an Italian company that actually really focused on cyclists. And they did a little stint in, in triathlon Ironman, but really it was like all about cycling for them. And they really put, I feel a little bit more, uh, of the industry standards on the map. So Gatorade obviously was the drink. And then Interveet started coming out with, with, you know, because I've seen this um kind of in, in videos before, you know, they started coming out with not only drinks, but also like gel type products and even electrolyte capsules and tablets. And this was in the 1970s, right? So, and again, everything was pretty similar for the most part. It was sugar and some salt and some water, basically, right? Maybe some colorings here and there. So that was the 1970s. And then it wasn't until I feel like the 1980s, that's when things started moving because that's when Power Bar hit the scene. And I remember, do you remember Power Bar? Oh yeah, of course. Oh, I just, like, that was my first introduction into, you know, being an endurance athlete was power bars and you know you could hold it up and it would just flop over because the consistency was like a really weird consistency i can't even describe it 
But we love those power bars because literally it was the only thing we could eat. Like, I mean, Enervy was more Europe-based. Gary yeah. didn't have anything except a drink. Mm-hmm. And now we have power bars and everyone was going crazy. And they hit the triathlon scene. You're like, oh, this is so wonderful. But that started a cascade of events, I think, right, for entrepreneurs because they're like, well, wait a second. We could do it better, right? Or we could do it yes. different. I think that's the whole case for entrepreneurs. So then we started seeing in the 1980, in late 1980s, more 1990s, was the advent and the introduction of Cliff Bar, of Goo Energy Labs. Like all of these other companies started to hit the scene. And, you know, back then, we didn't really have a lot of information regarding sport nutrition in terms of what was best. It was literally sugar, water, and salt, right? Mm-hmm. But all these companies were trying to put stuff together. And, you know, I don't know about you, but some of the power bars that I've tried, you know, back in those days were were disgusting. Some of them were awesome. Same thing with Cliff Bar. Same. So the early advent of the sport nutrition industry was kind of like a kind of wishy-washy. You don't know exactly what you're going to get, Right. Yeah. I mean, let alone like taste, texture, you know, just the ability to open the package, like those power bars. Remember, Bob, this slight tangent, but like sometimes in the very cold or the very hot, I mean, especially cold, geez, I feel like I'm 90 years old right now. But anyway, (laughs) yeah, like I needed like a a table saw to open that package (laughs) and then get the very firm you know, bar out of the package yeah. and not lose a tooth when you chew. Yeah, right, right. Well, and then the same thing in the opposite with heat, right? So then yeah. it would it would melt, but it would conform. It was very pliable, right? Like and I taffy. Even remember, yeah. Like taffy, yeah. yeah. I remember doing a couple of Ironmans where I would literally cut up a power bar and into little like bite-sized pieces. And I'm not kidding you. I would stick it on the top tube of my bike, literally. And it would stay there. It would stay there. Right. And, and that's, you know, and nowadays, you know, athletes are like taping gels to their top tubes, but anyway, that's what we used to do back then. So yeah. let me continue my history lesson. So that was the 1990s and we saw a lot more companies come out and, and they were really exposing themselves and, and really looking at how do we improve the sport nutrition product offering. It wasn't until the year 2000. So now things started to change because there were a couple really, really smart researchers who came onto the scene. Uh, one of them who is an Ironman athlete, Asker Yukendrup, uh, Dr. Dr. Yukendrup. And he started to challenge the, well, let's look at the type of carbohydrates, but is there something in the body? Like, do you remember back then the sport nutrition in terms of carbohydrate recommendations were again, back then, back in the days was 30 to 60 grams of carbohydrate per hour. Right. Mm -hmm. So Asker comes in and starts to challenge that a little bit and say, well, why, like, why is that? Is there a better ceiling? Is there an upper ceiling? Like what's going on? So his work, him and his colleague Jensen's, and I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. So I do uh, apologize if I did not uh, pronounce that name right, but they really started to look into what is happening inside the body. Can we feed the body more carbohydrates if so, or if not, like what is happening? So In the early 2000s, these two researchers and then a whole bunch of other researchers started to look at carbohydrates, feeding, absorption. They started feeding more carbohydrates. And this is where we see these really high feeding studies of carbohydrates. And literally this started, this was actually taking place in in the whole, like from 2000 to 2009. And I feel like that totally paved the way 
to where we are now was sport nutrition research mm-hmm. and even sport nutrition products. So what happened was you've got these Gatorades, Enervites, uh, Power Bars, Cliff Bars, Goo, and everybody. Back in the days, they were just using a lot of glucose and maltodextrin as their carbohydrates, right? So now we have this early, this research in the 2000s saying, wait a second, maybe there are either better sugars or different sugars that will actually improve the body's absorption of carbohydrates. So I want to stop there really quick because who cares about absorption, D? Like, why do we need to care about absorbing carbohydrates? Well, what comes to mind first is GI distress. Yes. But also just trying to keep performance level up, right? So if we are reliant on high carbohydrate uh, availability or that need for high carb fuel rates to support performance level, which again is needs to be put in a context, those couple things are primary in terms of what you're asking. Absolutely. And here's like, I was thinking about this. I'm like, oh, wait a second. And then I was putting, you know, personal story as, as some of our listeners know, I mean, I've, I've battled with GI distress my entire endurance career, but I was thinking about my history D and my timeline. Mm -hmm. And I started endurance sports in 1993, right. And had GI distress ever since day one, basically, and started doing a lot of Ironman events from 1999 to 2007. That was really my Ironman day, if you days, if you will. Right. And I'm thinking, wait a second, I would get GI distress during every single race, all training sessions, no matter what I did. And that's it, as you know, D, like that's, you know, I, I created nutrition periodization and the metabolic efficiency training concept in the early to mid 2000s. And creating the metabolic efficiency training concept was literally because of GI distress to try, try to get rid of that. But that was also the time where all of this new sport nutrition research was just starting to be published. So I was, isn't it interesting? I was looking at the, wow, I was developing metabolic efficiency training to try to get rid of GI distress. At the same time, we had super smart researchers looking into how to better feed our body with carbohydrates to reduce GI distress and increase carbohydrate absorption. I was just thinking, I'm like, man, if I could have just waited 10 years to do Ironman, I don't know if I would have GI distress, right? Because we had so many more great products. So this is where I want to go with this. Nowadays, since the 2000s, and since all these companies now have have literally used this research from these these researchers, these scientists, to create their products, it totally changes the game for GI distress and for even carbohydrate absorption. So if you don't mind, let's unpack both of those, right? So I think yeah. the GI distress is a lot easier to unpack. Okay. So okay. It, back in the days, we would, we, you know, again, we get, GI, most people get GI distress because we're just feeding either simple sugars like, like glucose um, or even fructose. But we were, we were, there was a limit to how many of those we can feed. Right. And I feel like a lot of athletes were trying to go over the limit that our body could absorb and therefore getting GI distress. Right. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until, so, so really the two thousands, again, when the first, literally, I think you would have to correct me if I'm wrong, but I think if my history is pretty uh, much where it needs to be, I believe power bar is the one that came out with the first different or multiple ratio of carbohydrates, and that is glucose and fructose. They were the first company to, to do that. And I don't know the exact year, but I, I do remember this. And Dean, I've told you the story. I was actually 
asked to go to their um, kind of their what do they call it? It's not really a press conference, but I got to travel to Arizona and meet with our bar and uh, Dr. Yukendrup was there too, presenting his research. And that was their launch. That's what it was. It was a product launch of their C2 Max, okay. right? Carbohydrate. So the C2 was two types of carbohydrate. Max was maximum absorption. So what Power Bar did in the mid to late 2000s was they they took Dr. Yukendrup's data, research data, and they actually reformulated their entire product line to add or to make sure that it was multiple carbohydrates, so glucose and fructose. That set everything up for where we are now today right? Which is amazing. But what we started seeing, and I will tell you listeners why this is so important, was that the incidence of GI distress, I don't think really went down that much. It did help a few athletes. And I've got I've got a, a reason why it didn't go down, which I'll present later. But I think now let's shift our, our, our thought process into the absorption, right? Why are we trying to introduce two different carbohydrates, glucose and fructose, instead of just one, like what is the deal? So we are now at a place in sport nutrition industry. It's super exciting because we've got all these companies that literally have either made the transition like Power Bar did from their normal formulation to now the two part glucose to one part fructose. That's what that two to one ratio is. Or we've got new companies coming and literally some have just been introducing themselves in the past couple of years. Some of them are actually starting their companies based on this two to one glucose to fructose, or it could also be maltodextrin to fructose ratio. So what we're seeing nowadays, D, is we don't have a lot of the old school sugar formulations anymore. I feel like, like you'll find them here and there, but I feel like where we're at now is almost every product our listeners look at from a gel, syrup, or sport drink mix, they're going to see either a two to one glucose to fructose ratio or the newest one, which I'd like to talk about also, is a one to 0.8 glucose to fructose. So listeners, you're going to find, mo I would say, I'm going to go on a limb and I don't know the stats, but I'm going to say 90% of the products on the sport nutrition market right now, those are the carbohydrate uh, ratios that you will find in all of these products. And I think, Bob, a couple of things, like when you're looking at a label, unless the marketing is such that it tells you that, it's often, yes. you cannot on the nutrition, like the breakdown of carbs, calories, all that, it won't lay that out for you. So let's say it's a 30 gram gel. Most, most labeling right now, it doesn't say like X grams from glucose mm -hmm. or malto. It's, it's probably on the website or, you know, and as we're recording this, I, I, you know, might be missing a product here that, that actually is breaking that down, but you'll see these ingredients listed. Right. And then the other thing is, this is assuming something that we are consuming at least, and maybe you're going to get to this, like, yeah, I see where you're are going we at 60 grams of carb per hour or 90 or above 90. And so maybe we'll come back to that point here in a minute. 
I would love, that's actually where I was going next, Dee. But okay. let me first, I just, I totally agree with you on the marketing because some of these companies are blatantly putting it on their product, which helps us consumers, right? Mm -hmm. And some of them aren't. So then we're like, yeah. oh, wait, well, what what is this? We're not, but you know, you look in the ingredients and you might see maltodextrin and fructose, but again, you don't know the ratio, right? Yeah. So I, I, I just want to say like listeners be on the lookout, but yeah, to Dina's point, you might need to go past the label and actually go to their website to actually mm -hmm. see what that combination of glucose to fructose or maltodextrin to fructose is. So that's a good lesson D for sure. So yeah, now back to the, you know, who cares, right? So what? So here's the thing, listeners, there are these protein transporters. I'm not going to get too sciencey, but just a little splash. There are protein transporters in your small intestine that basically allow glucose to enter the small intestine to be absorbed. Once they're absorbed, we can use them as energy, right? There are 14 of these transporters. Now, the two that we're going to talk about, because these are the most two popular, especially with the with the story we're telling today, there are two that are most popular. It's called SGLT1 and GLUT5. So SGLT1 is sodium glucose transporter one. That is responsible primarily for glucose uh, transports across the small intestine. Okay. Now, what Dean was saying is these really super smart guys and gals researchers found out in the early 2000s that that transporter is saturated at 60 grams. So what you're saying, D, yeah, if you're trying, if you're, what they said was if you feed, and they've done this research, if you feed more than 60 grams of glucose, because Asker actually did the study, he fed 120 grams of glucose because he was like, well, hey, can we just feed more and absorb more? Actually, what he found was eating double the amount of glucose did not change absorption. So he was led to, to kind of go back and say, okay, 60 grams is this transporter's ceiling. It's its threshold. Well, what about, so you have two athletes, two types of athletes now, right? You've got the ones that don't need 60 grams an hour. So you all don't really need to emphasize your focus on what we're going to talk about now, right? So these are maybe the guys and girls who are doing shorter distances. Um, they're very efficient in using fat at high, high intensities. They don't need to feed a lot of carbohydrate to support their energy expenditure, right? Or maybe they just don't burn a lot of calories during exercise or training. So there is, there is kind of two different boats here, if you will. One is the athlete that doesn't need to feed up to 60 grams per hour. And the other is the athlete who absolutely needs more than 60 grams per hour because, again, of all the things I said earlier, maybe they're doing longer distance, high intensity. Uh, maybe they just burn a ton of calories, which we've both witnessed doing metabolic efficiency testing, right? It just amazes me sometimes. So now we get into this category of, okay, now an athlete knows they need more than 60 grams an hour. Now, if why if you, you're listening, tracking what I just said, if you're just feeding glucose, that transporter can only handle 60 grams. So what if you need 70, 80, 90 grams of carbohydrate per hour? That's where the second transporter that I mentioned earlier, this GLUT5 transporter, that one is primarily responsible for shuttling fructose across the small intestine. So this is where this whole research thing came from. And what we know now is if we combine glucose and fructose, 
we can actually deliver more carbohydrates via two transport mechanisms on the small intestine instead of one, which means we'll have a higher absorption rate, which means we should be able to burn those carbohydrates. And for those athletes who need more carbs, it's a, it could be extremely beneficial. There are some pros and cons, right, which we'll, we can talk about. But with that said, that's where this whole two to one comes from. So what you're seeing is a lot of these products are saying, okay, we can give up to 60 or we can put up to 60 grams of glucose or maltodextrin in our product. And then if we add half of that more as fructose, we can use both these transporters. We could, and most of the research now really supports pushing the up to 90 grams of carbohydrate per hour, right? Using these two different types of sugars of carbohydrates. Now there's another however here because we can actually go higher than 90 grams, but there are some, there's some different thought processes. So first I just wanna, I wanna stop there, not stop, but I wanna pause there really quick and say, most of the products you're gonna find on the market listeners are this two to one ratio right now two glucose or maltodextrin to one fructose. So those are those are things like, um, I know our, our friend Andy at Precision uh, Fuel and Hydration, his is two to one. I know uh, Asker, you can droop actually has his company um, that he started a few years ago, Never Second, that's two to one. I believe Goo now is two to one. I, we'd have to ask one of our favorite guests and, and friends, Roxanne, on that one, but I believe that one is. Um, I know... What other, I know Enervit, which I mentioned, they were from the 1970s. They've kind of updated, they've got the two to one ratio. So there are a ton of power bar, of course, has their 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 patented one um, still. So I don't feel like there's a lot of products that are not two to one anymore, except now we have the, I almost call it the futuristic, even though we're living in that right now. Now we're getting to the products that have a one part glucose or maltodextrin to 0.8 fructose. And now you might be saying, what? Why not just one-to-one? Make it easy. Exactly. Yeah. The the, the math heads are like, oh, <laughs> I'm getting my calculator out. Exactly. Right. And people have done this online. I've read these, these blog posts and articles before, but um, I, I'm not going to go with the why the one to 0.8. What I'm going to say, like, if you think about it, that's a serious deviation from the two to one. That's very, very different. The goal of the one to 0.8 is to feed even more yes. carbohydrate than 90. So now we have three categories, don't we, D? We've got the mm -hmm. athlete that need, that wants under 60 grams per hour. We want the athlete that wants 60 to 90 grams per hour. And now we want the athlete who wants more than 90 grams per hour. So this could be up to 144 grams, which yes. we've seen in some research, right? Yeah. And listeners, like back in the days, we could not do that with the products we had because it would cause significant GI distress. And yes. it, it's really, if you start, if you're really paying attention to this, it's because of the transporters on our small intestine. We would max out that SGLT1 for glucose and if you think about it, two, if you feed 120 grams of glucose, but this transporter, the bus can only handle 60 grams, where's that other 60 grams going to go? It's going to sit in the small intestine to ferment. When sugar ferments, that's what starts to cause GI distress. Mm -hmm. So that's the whole, and that's why I get so excited with the science because I'm like, oh my gosh, because I'm all about getting rid of GI distress. That's what I pretty much based my whole you know career on, right? And now we're at a point that we have products that could actually help that. 
But there's a big but coming in here soon. Dina, you have something. Well, I, I just wanted to maybe rephrase this for those who are like trying to hang in there, Bob. Yeah. Because I love what you said too about the bus, like these visuals. So like the yeah. transporters or those areas on the cell that's like letting the fuel in, you know, that's like the gatekeeper. And so the glucose transporter is a little more efficient. It allows more more energy molecules through. I'm just being really yeah. simple here. And the yeah, more people on the bus. Yeah, more fructose or the fructose transporter is not so, you know, groovy with the fuel transport or uptake. And so, hence the two to one, or now through research testing out higher consumption of carbohydrates, we have more molecules, more energy to deliver. Mm -hmm. And so, finding actually that ratio can be shifted in the certain context where we need more energy per hour which I think we're going to talk about who, who is that <laughs> that needs 140 grams of carbohydrate per hour and then the benefits of this formulation. Yeah. And it's, you know, I think kind of on the bus thing again, you know, yeah. back in the days in the past, we had, we were working with a one bus model, right? And the bus only had 60 seats, 60 grams, right? And then we started saying, well, could we just have two buses and, you know, do 120 seats? No, that didn't work. So we're back to that one bus. And now what you're saying, right, with the whole bus thing is, well, wait a second. Well, if we just get a whole different bus, but it's a smaller bus, right? It's, you know, like those small schools, they have their little private buses, not like the public school buses that are humongous. It's kind of like that, like the private school bus is like the fructose transporter and the big public school bus is like the glucose transporter, right? So now we have two buses, but they kind of differ in how many people that they can actually put on there, which mm -hmm. is the grams of carbohydrate, right? I love that, D. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's talk about who would need this because again, we do have to put this in context as a sport dietitians. We're not just out there saying, oh yeah, hey, you're XYZ you're going to eat to you know 120 grams of carbohydrate per hour. We we just don't do that, right? We have to put this in context. So, in in of course, everybody is different, and even you know n of one. I've I've got some interesting you know n of one data too. But I feel like let's. I mean, do you agree, D? We've got kind of it's almost it's almost like a bell shaped curve, if you will. And I don't know if that's the proper way to describe it, but you know we've got the ones that the athletes who are going to need less than 60 grams per hour. Then we've got the ones 60 to 90. Then we've got the ones greater than 90. So who's going to who's gonna need less than 60 grams of carbohydrate per hour? What do you think, D? Like, let's let's start to break this up a little bit. Like, I'm thinking, I'm thinking sports. I'm thinking duration. I'm thinking intensity. Yeah, Bob. I mean, exactly what you just said, trying to put this in context. Like, who needs the 60 gram or less, right? So, I mean, I would just generalize to perhaps then the lower intensity kind of endurance oriented sport. And that could mean also just like um, your, your endurance running or recreational triathlon. I mean, there's a whole host of sports, I suppose, that would fall into this category. Um, but I kind of think in, in the generalization too, of like elite professional level mm. racing at a high level needing that 90 and above and that 60 and less is maybe, you know, the 95% of us who, and, and that's not an accurate number, but the point is like the majority of us are probably in that 60 gram or less uh, fuel per hour of carbohydrate. 
Yeah. I mean, there will be some outliers too. Like I've, yeah. I've measured this where we've got some athletes in that category that just burn a, just an enormous amount of carbohydrate per hour. And mm-hmm. they do need to keep up with that at a certain point. Right. So there, there are right. some outliers for sure. Right. And, you know, I almost feel like that 60 to 90 is starting to become the new norm. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, and, and I do want to throw out some caution in the wind to that here in a second. And even with the 90 and above, but yeah, I do feel like, you know, what we know from the past is 30 to 60 grams of carbohydrate per hour consumption. That's, that's been our message up until the mid two thousands. And then things started to change and start, you know, things started to change, not only products, but the way people actually approached their nutrition. So I I agree with you. I think a lot of people will fall into that under 60 grams per hour for sure. Um, But I've also seen some of these people need more than 60 grams per hour in competitions, Right. So again, it kind of comes back to what is the sport? What is the competition? What are your energy expenditure needs? Um, Because it it does that will those just those few things will dictate in addition to recovery, like how fast you want to recover carbohydrate stores also. Right. All of this comes into play. So, but those are, those are probably the the guys and girls, the listeners that are, that are following a, a somewhat, what I would call metabolic efficiency, you know, daily nutrition plan. Mm-hmm. They're optimizing blood sugar by periodizing their carbohydrate, protein, and fats. But yeah, let's transition to the 60 to 90. So now we're getting what I would call like competitive recreational, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah. it's, you know, and I, I used to fall that category. I've, I've transitioned now in my life, but you know, those are the ones who are like going for podium finishes at the recreational level or trying to qualify for certain things like there, we know that their competitiveness is higher than the fitness enthusiasts recreational that are just doing it purely for joy and fun, improving health and being out there and still challenging themselves, but they don't have a competitive goal. I feel like that competitive goal, that really higher competitive goal sometimes actually dictates needing more carbohydrates per hour, because as I've said a lot in the past, like their engine is running hotter, right? It's just, Mm -hmm. you're burning through more carbohydrates and calories, the higher intensity that you do. And now if you prolong that intensity, you're going to be burning even more calories, right? Do you want to mention duration of, of competition as well? I think, I mean, I always look for like the two hour mark as kind of the kind of the piece of the puzzle where like, okay, yeah. like once you get over two hours and you're starting to push some intensity, you've got my attention in terms of possibly needing more carbohydrates, but anything under two, and and this is going to depend on the athlete too and their efficiency. Exactly. But I think that two hour mark is pretty standard mm-hmm. because we know that most people have roughly two, most adults have roughly two to two and a half hours worth of carbohydrate stores in their body, right? Mostly muscles. Yeah. So that's why we always pick on that two hour mark is because we can actually exhaust our glycogen, which is our stored carbohydrate in about two hours, depending on the intensity. Right. And, and metabolic efficiency status. Correct. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So we've got this 60 to 90, right. And I still want to bring something up, but I want to go into the greater than 90, right. So I kind of want to bring back where we're at with the research with this whole two to one and one to 0.8. So, and we, so here's, here's where we are these days. If we're talking about needing 60 to 90 grams per hour of carbohydrate. And what the research tells us is this two to one, there's much more research on this two to one glucose to fructose ratio than there is to one, uh, than there is for one to 0.8, right? So there's a lot of argument right now 
on this whole two to one versus one to zero point eight. Like which one's better? Why are we even discussing this? A ton more research on the two to one, which is which is very promising. There's a lot of great pros and cons to that. I will say this, even though the research in the one to 0.8 does date back to, I believe it's 2013. So it's not new, new, right? But we just have seen some companies, you know, shortly after that kind of pop up and, and actually really only one, which we'll talk about here in a second. But what I see is not much research has been done on the one to 0.8 in relation to the two to one. Now, what does that mean? Well, what we know in sport nutrition is re in research is it usually takes a while. Like with Asker's work in, in literally 2000, when he published the paper, I think it took him another six to seven or eight years to really set that into motion where people, companies, athletes could actually use it. So my point is this, I still think we're in our infancy for learning if there is a true difference mm -hmm. between this two to one and one to 0 0.8 glucose to fructose ratio. And I, know, I say that, mm -hmm. oh, go ahead, Dee. I know I had seen a one or two studies on cyclists maybe in, yep. um, and maybe you have these two like in 2022. Yep, yep. A small subset uh, comparing, I'm just looking now, we can put this in the show notes, 120 grams per hour compared to 90 grams per exactly. hour and those different ratios. And so we could talk about the finding of these couple studies. Yeah. And here's, this, this is how my brain works. When I see a study like that, cause I know exactly which one you're, you're mm -hmm. picking up on that. Yeah. I see that in this study fed 90 grams of a two to one yep. ratio or 120 grams of one to 0 0.8. The first thing in my mind is why didn't they just standardize the grams of glucose of grams exactly. of carbohydrate? Like that just, that makes no sense to me. Yeah. At all. Yeah. I thought <laughs> right? the same thing. Cause then if you mm -hmm. want to put, you know, two people in the same body, I mean, if you want to compare apples to apples, like the same exact apple, like everything has to be consistent, right? Right. So right. yeah, I didn't understand that <laughs> one. And actually a lot of people are referencing that study and saying, oh, this is why the one to 0 0.8 doesn't work as well. Well, you don't, you didn't give it a chance. Like that's just research bias right there. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, <laughs> but, that was a design yeah. issue. Yeah. Right. And I know more research is, is coming out on the one to 0 0.8, but here's the thing. So listeners are like, oh, what are they doing? Just stop talking about all this. <laughs> Here's what we need to know, right? There's a few things we need to know. Okay. Um, when you are trying to do consume more than 60 grams of carbohydrate per hour, a lot of things are depending on this. Um, so I'm going to just say it does depend. I'm just going to qualify that. But your digestive system may or may not like that at first, right? So if I'm used to consuming 30 grams of carbohydrate per hour and I try tomorrow to consume 60 it may not like that, D. I may have some GI distress. I might have some things going on downstairs or upstairs that I may not like, right? So my point is for listeners, if you're going to try out this introducing more carbohydrate per hour, be it 60, 90, 120, it doesn't matter, just over 60. If you're going to try that, you may actually have to look into this whole concept called training the gut. And this is, it's not new, but I feel like it's getting a lot more structured. And D, I've done the research on this. There is not one protocol to train the gut, right? That's mm -hmm. not the, oh, yeah. follow these three steps. Voila. There are, it's kind of a mishmash and none of them will be comfortable at first because some of them, some of these methods for training your gut, actually, let me back up. What does training the gut mean? 
Training the gut means to get your, your digestive system ready to be able to handle a higher amount of carbohydrates per hour, right? So instead of just going 30 to 60 or 30 to 90 grams per hour, you actually get your digestive system ready for that so you don't have GI distress. So in my case, it would be completely idiotic for me to go from 30 grams per hour to 90 grams per hour without training my gut because I am very susceptible to GI distress. So I would need to take four, eight, maybe even 12 weeks and train my gut to be able to handle a higher carbohydrate load. Now I have worked with athletes D who do not have GI distress. Their, their um, introduction to a higher carbohydrate per hour is actually very easy because yeah. they don't, they, they weren't plagued with GI distress. Right. But right. I am saying listeners, if you have been plagued with GI distress, you may want to go through some training the gut methods to be able to handle a higher carbohydrate load per hour if you need higher carbohydrates. Okay. So that said, definitely train the gut. That's one thing I really want to bring up. Train your gut. Please just don't try to do this um, out of the gates, especially if you have GI distress, right? The other thing is, I don't know the exact number, Dina, but the companies that are making the two to one glucose to fructose ratio are are dominating the market right now. There are only a few companies that are actually following this one to 0.8. So one thing to keep in mind, listeners, and, and I'm probably not going to get this right, but I know two off the top of my head. I know Morton, M-A-U-R-T-E-N. I know they are one to 0.8 and I know SIS, but SIS has two different types of gel specifically. The SIS beta fuel is the one that has one to 0.8. So listeners, this is where Dean was saying earlier, we either have to look at the packaging, look at the website, because to my knowledge, we don't have a lot of these companies with the one to 0.8 carb, uh, glucose to fructose yet. I do believe more are coming. And what's yeah. interesting, D, like if kind of going back to the whole history of things, you know, Morton came out on the market in 2015. That's that's quite a few years ago, right? So they've actually been around for quite a while running this one to 0 0.8, if you really think about it. And they were the first company to do this. And let's just, this is the geek in me, but the wow, the, the wow factor with as a sport dietitian, if you start looking at the packaging, all of them are starting to look very similar. And Morton actually started this whole shift in different types of packaging and marketing. So on Morton, you'll see like the gel 100, gel 160, uh, drink mix 160, you know, 160, drink mix 320. And then on like the never second, you'll see um, the 30, the 60. So what you're seeing consumers and listeners is th the companies are now identifying either how many calories are in that package right straight up. You don't even have to look at the nutrition facts or they're identifying or and or they're identifying the grams of carbohydrate because they want you thinking in grams of carbohydrate per hour because that is where the research and the science has pointed us. And that's kind of where we're at these days, D, is athletes are, are looking more and saying, oh, I need 60 grams now. And now they're looking at these products and that they can identify very quickly. So Victus is another one of them that identifies that. Precision Fuel and Hydration, they have their 30, 60, I think they have a 90. So again, they're making it easier for consumers to identify 
but consumers, you need to know what you're looking at. And that's why Dina and I are bringing yeah. this up, right? That's why that's why these whole, this marketing shift has happened within the sport nutrition industry also. All right, Bob, scenario. I yep. am an athlete who determines I need 90 grams of carbohydrate to support my my race performance. Yes. All right. If I choose a two-to-one gel, I need to consume 90 grams. So that could look like three 30-gram gels mm-hmm. in the hour. Two-to-one means I'm going to get 60 grams of glucose or maltodextrin and 30 grams of fructose, right? Yep. Correct. Now, if I'm going to one of those snazzier, fancier gels with the newer ratio, one to 0.8, uh, and let's say it's a 30 gram gel delivery, I'll still do three gels, but the ratio is going to be different. I'm going to get 50 grams of glucose or mm-hmm. maltodextrin and 40 grams of fructose. Yes. I mean, I'm just wondering as an end user, like, is this something? Does it matter in that context or really it's for if I need 120 grams or is this where Mm. you're saying we just don't have enough research, let alone in women athletes, Uh, but will that difference in 10 grams of sugar, will it really matter or am I getting to the point where context really does matter? Am I prone to GI distress? Uh, have I trained the gut? What kind of um, competitive level am I? What are the heat, you know, environmental conditions and all the other things? I think your second point, D, is more spot on, right? And and because there are so many, it depends with biology, right? So the human, yeah. uh, we have so many things going on inside our body. So like as a practicing sport dietitian, I would say, yeah, number two, for sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and no, no pun intended to GI distress, of course. Ooh, Did you like that? that? Was, See, I yeah, slipped that in. That was good. <laughs> but no, I mean, honestly, because, and this is what I think about as I take athletes through the same exact uh, scenario is, yeah. all right, well, okay, you're thinking about that, Dina, great. Have you had GI distress? Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, okay. So we need to look at that. If you've had GI distress, we definitely have to take a few weeks to a few months to train your gut. Here's how we're going to do that. Um, so I would definitely look at that first. Yeah. But I do want to touch on your first question because to my knowledge, and I could be wrong, there is one research study that actually looked at this. And basically the conclusions were it may be necessary to max the SGLT1 transporter, the glucose Mm. transporter, before we start introducing more carbohydrate on the fructose bus, right? I see. Yes. I I believe I have seen that research too. In other words, listeners, more than 90 grams of carbohydrate per hour with, right, Bob? Uh, Well, it depends on your glucose-fructose ratio, right? So for yes. your second <laughs> your second example, if you had oh, was, again, 50 grams of glucose and I forgot how many, 48, 40-ish, 40 grams of carbon. Yeah, of that's that's the one to 0.8 okay. ratio. Yeah. That would be 90. So we're looking at more yeah. closely to like over 100 grams, right. 110 grams yep. of carb per hour. Well, and, and this is the argument where, and I don't, I feel like as a, if I put a researcher hat on, I need to be a researcher that does 10 more studies on this, right? Because yeah. we just don't know from one research study, yeah. we cannot make those conclusions. But here's the thing in your example, the argument is, well, you shouldn't just feed 50 grams of glucose and 40 grams of fructose. You need to feed 60 grams of glucose first. Yes. Then let fructose, you know, fall into play. 
personally, based on what I've seen in the field, I don't think that matters, right? I think it matters maybe statistically mm-hmm. in the lab, but mm-hmm. I don't think it matters outside in real life. And this is only based on my experience with athletes I've worked with in these scenarios. So that's that's kind of where my knowledge is coming from. Yeah. And that gets in the weeds, doesn't it? Oh, totally. Ooh. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But now yeah. I, d- I don't want to discount like feeding 100, feeding 110 grams of carbohydrate per hour. Some athletes can absolutely do it. But these are the ones, these are the, you mentioned this, D, the elites, the high level. You were talking to, you know, breaking two hour marathon kind of thing. I mean, that's their energy expenditure is through the roof, right? So we do need to please step back listeners and and really put context into this first. For sure. Yeah. I could see Bob us doing a review. Uh, Remember when we did our cluster dextrin review? Oh, yeah. I can see some upcoming reviews here on the two to ones and the 1.8 gels or nutrition products. Yeah. Yeah. I do want to say this though. Um, because because this is something I don't want to say it bothers me, but it really catches my attention. You know when we say gel, mm-hmm. and really it started with well, it's probably Enervit who had the first gel. I'd have to look at that. It's either them or Power Bar. I can't remember which one, but it's not a gel, right? It's a yeah. syrup. It really Syrupy. is a syrup. Like if yeah. you think of a gel, you think of jelly, right? Jam- like you know that consistency. So yeah. this is why it's so fascinating to me because <laughs> literally the fir- I would argue this right. And and I'll argue this with anybody, not that I'm right, but I believe that Morton was the first product that came up with a gel. Now we yeah. have like, I just saw this, like um, I saw this online, Enervit has has um, chewable gels. This was literally <laughs> on the label. I'm like, okay, that caught my attention. What that, you know, what is a chewable gel? And it's the exact thing. So again, like Morton has way different technology. We haven't even mentioned that, like the hydrogel yeah, technology. Right. But I just feel like listeners, when you're looking for this, do you want a syrup, right? And we've all been there, done that. You open these things and it's all, it's it's just sticky. It's everywhere. Or do you actually want a gel that you can, it, you're not really chewing it, but it's more like a jelly consistency. So I don't know, maybe that's just wordsmithing it. But when I think of gels, I either think of syrups or gels. And the only two gels on the market I know is Morton and this um, this uh, uh, Enervit chewable gel. <laughs> but here's the thing also, I think we're going to see more of that because that is yeah. what our consumers and our athletes are actually wanting these days. Yes. Right. So just yeah. keep that in mind. I'm going to predict that in the next five years, we're going to see all these companies going to these quote unquote chewable gels. I hope, Bob, this side side comment, but relevant in the research that will be done. I hope that there are female athletes included because there's some hint uh, that there are sex differences in fructose absorption and like yes. a max rate, let alone if we've got any of the, you know, gut conditions going on where we're sensitive to FODMAPs and all that other stuff. <laughs> but anywho, and that is just a wish for all of the, you know, researchers out there to include. Do you, do you know, D? Do you think the fructose is lower? The fructose lower. absorption? Yeah. So that is it. So, okay, female listeners probably even better to do a training your gut methodology protocol prior to using these 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 new products that we're talking about these two to one or one to zero point eight probably even yeah. better reasoning to not just grab a gel or a sport drink off the off the shelf but maybe go through a systematic okay i need to train my gut first mm-hmm. and obviously there's going to be a lot of trial and error with that right yeah 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 oh 
Ooh, I feel bottom. so, I feel, I feel like my high school history teacher who I really, I really enjoyed um, because he was actually one of my coaches, but I just didn't like a lot of the content. But now again, like I said earlier, when we began this, you, you put history with a little bit of science and I am all for it. So listeners, I don't know if you stuck with us during this episode, one, thank you. Uh, we kind of geeked out a little bit. I get super excited, which I'm sure you could tell just by talking about where we've been and where we are now and kind of where we're going. Because, you know, when you're in a trade for this long, it's it's kind of exciting to see the differences that happen. And, you know, I, I personally got into this trade because I just, I was so enamored with human potential and, uh, you know, the, the ability that we could still, there's so much potential in us from a mental, physical, and nutritional standpoint. And I love, you know, the nutrition piece of the puzzle is these great scientists just keep on pushing the, the pushing the, the limits, but it's the athletes. It's, mm -hmm. it's us that mm -hmm. really just go out and we, you know, we see what works, see what doesn't, you know, researchers are getting, getting hold of this and, you know, they're designing new things. And just like the, the ask for you can process, right. His research kind of led way, it kind of created the whole path to these new products that we see for carbohydrates. For sure. And I feel just, you know, reflecting on our, our conversation today too, Bob, it does give appreciation for each individual athlete, their context, uh, the pursuit of trying to be our best, whatever that is for us, but then right. like navigating that selection course for what is the best fueling strategy uh, to support the individual and their athletic pursuits. So anyways, I, I appreciate that highly. Yeah. And, you know, I think just, just like there's so many sport nutrition products on the market, mm -hmm. it, it's because some things work for some of us and some others don't. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and even it could be just, it could be a, a very similar, like a two, let's just say two products that have a two to one glucose to fructose ratio, but one works better than the other for us, but two different products from different companies. It could be whatever other ingredients are in there. It could be all these other things it could be even the taste, Dina, right. That yeah. could turn off or turn on an athlete. So, you know, I do love, I always say this, I love that we have all these options, but I don't love that we have all these options because it does get <laughs> confusing at times too. Right. Definitely. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the beauty of then aligning with a sport dietitian who can help help you make sense of it all and figure out yeah. what is what is best or what is worth your coins to spend your yeah. money on. Well, and let's give us a plug. I mean, we might as well since we're here, right? I mean, this is what we do, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it's our job to try to keep up on as much of this as possible. And listeners, hopefully this episode has given you an opportunity to, to learn like, oh my gosh, there really is a lot out there. But, you know, I feel like when you hire a sport dietitian, you shorten your learning curve significantly, right? Because oh, yeah. we can, we'll be able to direct you almost immediately to at least the category of sport nutrition products we need to start looking at. So you don't have to spend a lot of your time and financial resources buying all these things or whatever. I mean, you know, I'm sure a day doesn't go by, Dina, where someone doesn't say, Dina, what, which product do you think I should use? Right. Mm -hmm. And you're like, well, right. it depends. <laughs> <laughs> it's like asking what shoe should I buy? Like, I well, know. Oh, oh, let's, yeah. Let's step yeah. back a minute. <laughs> you need one for the road. You need trail. You need yeah, hiking. No. You need one good traction. You don't need, you need kind of um, like a road to trail shoe. I mean, you <laughs> I get at least 10 different pair of shoes, right? <laughs> I mean, the ratio of trail shoe to road shoe in my closet is not a one to 0.8 ratio. No, probably but anyways. not. It's probably not even a two. It's probably like a three to one, probably even a five to one, right? I know. Well, I'll have trail to, to tally that. I'll go do that. Okay. Right now. 
All right, listeners, well, we certainly appreciate your time and your um, just patience and keeping up with us and be sure to listen to this episode over and over again, but please do reach out to us. And I'm sure this episode has sparked some great questions. Ask us the questions. We love doing our Ask Us Anything episodes. We'll turn your questions into an entire episode. Just shoot us an email, hello at insidesportsnutrition.com, and we will catch you on our next episode. Well, we hope you enjoyed episode 113, where Dina and I gave you a little bit of snapshot of carbohydrate-based sport nutrition products, kind of where we were and kind of where we're at here now in trying to clear up some of that confusion. Stay tuned for next week's episode, where Dina and I have a returning guest, Colette Bartanian. She is the sport dietitian at Scratch Labs, and we are talking all about hydration for winter activities. So last year we had her on talking about hydration and summer activities. We're shifting gears a little bit, focusing on the cold weather sports and activities. So that will be a fantastic one. Now, if you have a question for Dina and I, and you'd like us to answer it either privately or turn it in for us to turn into an Ask Us Anything episode, go ahead and email us. Hello at insidesportsnutrition.com. And let us know what's on your mind. We'd love to answer your question. We'd love to hear some feedback too. So you don't have to just email us a question, email us some feedback also. Regarding that also, we would love your support in helping us promote our podcast. So if you could go to your podcast platform of choice, give us a five-star rating, submit a review. Uh, that just helps us so much in spreading the word to more and more listeners around the world. And you can also check out our website, insidesportsnutrition.com. Find all of our show notes, uh, find our partners, our sponsors, kind of see what we're up to. And that is another great resource for you. Now, if you'd like more information about what Dina and I do in our businesses, head on over to nutritionmechanic.com to see all of Dina's wonderful offerings and head on over to energyperformance.com. That's E-N-R-G performance.com to see what I am up to. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely those of the host and the guests involved and do not represent a replacement for medical consultation with your doctor. The information and opinions provided here are intended to not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease or medical condition. This podcast is for information, education, and entertainment purposes only. 